Welcome to Freedom Matters Today. I am Michael J. Sutton and this is episode 19 of Freedom from Fear. Should Christians want to suffer for Jesus? This is a question that's commonly asked and poorly understood. Christian fascists will say that if you can take over the state, then you can make sure that Christians can be protected from persecution. It sounds good in theory, but this temptation usually proves too much for the church, and history has shown that sooner or later the church ends up murdering people for not accepting their version of the institutional church and the twisted God they believe in. Just Google it. Outside the nightmare of organised religious experience or Christian fascism, should Christians want to suffer for Jesus? I don't think that the answer is yes, in the sense that anyone woke up one day and decided to suffer for Christ out of a sense of obligation. Simply suffering happened because of their allegiance with the Lord Jesus Christ, identifying with him in his death and resurrection. In other words, suffering occurs because people know Christ. There is something about knowing Jesus Christ that sets in motion actions and reactions, a process that leads to persecution. And I think it has to do because Christ comes into our life challenging the established order, challenging the the heart of the political system, uh, challenging the heart of the world in a way that the claims of Christ are so exclusive and so demanding that eventually there must be a departure, a parting of the ways. And as a result, there is persecution. So no, Christians shouldn't want to suffer for Jesus, but simply following Jesus will result in some kind of persecution. There is a little bit of bravado early on in the beginning of Christianity, before the arrival of Stephen in the book of Acts, but once the violent persecution began, began uh, which was led by men like Paul, the prophecies of Jesus about the servant not being greater than the master must have been keenly felt. The church has also had a confusing culture of martyrdom. When faced with certain martyrdom in later generations under some of the Roman persecutions, a culture of martyrdom developed. It became fashionable to die for the faith when faced with certain death. Many of these stories are so overladen with hagiography that separating fact from fiction is difficult. Hagiography is the creation of fictitious stories around important people. Many of the important people in the history of Christianity don't need hagiography. Their lives are remarkable enough, but the church could not resist the temptation and so um, most churches, many churches, have invented so many stories about famous people that are just silly, nonsensical, ridiculous. The creation of the martyr and the uh, culture of hagiography was also at the heart of the religious wars between Protestants and Catholics over the last 500 years or so, especially in Europe. So we need to leave the confusing martyrdom culture aside and we also need to leave aside the hagiography and the way that the church has recorded martyrdom in the past. We need to go back to what the Bible says about, about suffering for Christ and persecution. 
Paul himself did not seek death, though he was tempted. In Philippians, when he was writing Philippians, he was in prison for his faith in Christ, and he once said in the same letter that he was faced with a choice whether to resign himself to death or stay and encourage his disciples. He says in verse uh, 23 of chapter 1, I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. He's in prison, suffering, so no doubt he feels this tension between wanting to go home to be with Christ in heaven or to stay for the sake of his disciples. Yesterday we discovered that Paul's understanding of faith was not based on himself or anything that he did, but on what Christ had done for him. As a result, he wanted to receive Christ and he wanted the righteousness of God through faith. Even so, Paul wanted to go forward, seeking to know Christ more. He wrote, I want to know Christ, yes, the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This sounds a lot like Paul was looking for trouble and trying to find it. I don't think he was. Are Christians looking for persecution? No, but if they follow Christ, they will always find it. Indeed, faithfulness to the person and work of Jesus will reap persecution, and it will mainly be from the church. Are Christians looking for persecution? We have many anecdotes of this, I suppose, in our lives. You probably have yours, of your encounter with people who are being persecuted in our Western world. I was once on the train and there was a seminary student who was speaking very loudly on the phone about, in her view, the stupidity of people not coming to faith, why people were stupid for not being Christians. And she had a problem with atheists. And she was going on about how atheists were stupid and and so on, speaking incredibly loudly. Most people, normal people, would agree that, regardless of what she was saying, this was inappropriate behaviour. A kind atheist in front of her turned around and said rather politely that, while we agree to disagree, I think everyone in this carriage agrees that you need to keep your voice down. Now, was she being persecuted? She said later that she was. Christians today in the West like to think that they're always being persecuted and is always unwarranted and unfair and that all Christians are innocent of the charges laid against them. Maybe they just have their head in the sand or maybe they're the ones who are just plain stupid. Anyone who has any understanding of the role of the church in the West in the last generation would be deeply aware of the many failings of the Christian church and know they're not conspiracy theories. There is rampant child sexual abuse in the Christian church. It's not a conspiracy theory, it's fact. It's a tragedy. And many of the criticisms of the church are completely valid. The church is not innocent and without blemish. The myth of the innocent church syndrome has only grown in the last decade. Many Christians refuse to accept any criticism of the church and will defend the indefensible at all costs. I've even heard sermons where priests are defending pedophiles. Unbelievable. At seminary, I was regularly told, in fact, it was drilled into us that everyone in the world was out to get us, to persecute us, and to destroy the work of the gospel. This was why we had to support any corporate venture that promoted Christian values, such as religious schools. I could not understand the logic. It's a bit more complicated than that. 
Most of the criticisms against the church stand up to evidence, plain and simple. In addition, we need to consider the actions of political leaders who claim to act on behalf of God, especially in America. American foreign policy contributes indirectly to much of the persecution of Christian assemblies around the world, partly by guilt of association, especially in nations that are on the receiving end of what some used to call the Crusader nations. The Bible anticipates suffering for Christ as normal, to be expected, and part of the Christian experience. Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verses 1-5, to Therefore, since we have been justified through faith in therefore since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. So, St. Paul not only says that suffering for Christ is normal, but he links it in with this chain of growth. We glory in our suffering, because suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. What he seems to be saying is that if you crave hope and character and perseverance, the path or the door through that to reach that place is suffering. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. St. Peter also agrees. He writes in 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 12 to 16, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, since you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed But praise God that you bear that name. What Peter is saying here is that suffering for Christ, this fiery ordeal, is a kind of test, I suppose, but it's a reality of the life of a Christian. And Christians ought not to be surprised at this fiery ordeal, this suffering. And if you are receiving this suffering or this fiery ordeal, you are participating Peter says in the sufferings of Christ. James, who was martyred for his faith, wrote in James chapter 5, verses 10 to 11, Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Now, persecution can take many forms. I know in one particular country, it is not really physical persecution in the sense that people are being killed for their faith, but the act of baptism as an adult, if an adult person comes to faith in Christ and seeks to be baptized to publicly declare their faith in Christ, 
uh, as Jesus uh, instructs in, in the Gospel of Matthew, baptism is a sign of commitment to Jesus. Um, in this particular country, uh, it is often the case that is it is not faith in Christ that is the problem or even living for Christ, but it's publicly identifying with Jesus, the act of baptism, that often results in the uh, the severing of family and social ties. In many cases, persecution takes the form at that level of social exclusion, family breakdown, family separation. Um, sometimes in the West it is, of course, physical persecution, violence. That's often the case in other places. Uh, persecution can take many forms. Uh, but being a Christian, at some point you will suffer for standing in the name of Christ. Suffering for Christ has always been part of Christianity. Suffering for Christ was commonplace in the first few centuries of Christianity. Once Christianity became a national religion under Constantine, persecution tended to fade away, but there were later some counter-movements to return to the paganism of the past. You should Google it. It was a bit of a roller coaster ride for Western Christianity, nor was it pretty. It was often terribly violent and tragic. When the church and state unified, it became a nightmare, and that nightmare lasted over a thousand years. Google the fall of Constantinople, and then the Crusades, and then the religious wars in Europe. If you want a sad story, then that's the place to start. Suffering for faith in Christ did not end when national churches were formed. The persecution simply changed. This is the truth that Christian fascists want to hide. Suffering simply evolved from the murder of Muslims and the heathen to the murder of Christians who were not part of the national church. That's the history of Christianity in the West. Jesus also predicted this in the Gospels. He wrote in Mark chapter 13, verses 9-10, to 10, You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. Because of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. The synagogues and the councils, in the context of the time, you could equally replace it as you will be handed over to the local churches and denominations. John also said in John 15 verses 20 to 21, Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. He also said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 to 12, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Paul simply wanted to be like Christ. He did not have a death wish. He simply wanted to be like Jesus and identify with him. This included persecution, and I don't think Paul had a problem with that. If that was the cost of following Jesus, then he was happy to bear it. A Christianity without the cross is not Christianity. Indeed, the cowards who run the churches in the West are always too busy trying to secure as many exemptions as they can to avoid persecution. They are convinced that a faithful witness can come through special privileges by the state, the license to abuse, and yet at the same time throw themselves against both history and biblical witness. 
Maybe they've heard of the words of Jesus, or maybe they hope you have not. In Luke 9, verses 23 to 26, Jesus said these words. Then he said to all of them, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Remember, freedom matters today because you matter to God. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you want to find out more about Freedom Matters Today, please go to our website at freedommatterstoday.com and subscribe to our daily blog, which will be sent to your inbox every morning. Please join me tomorrow for another episode of Freedom From Fear.